Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Our colleague, Dr. Ken Matthews, preached in chapel, Hodges Chapel, uh, a few months ago, and he brought one of the most stirring sermons I think I've ever heard on one of the most difficult texts in the Bible, Psalm 137. Dr. Matthew teaches Old Testament Hebrew. Uh, he's been at Beeson almost from the very beginning, taught generations of students here, dearly beloved teacher and colleague. What's he going to tell us about Psalm 137, Dr. Smith? Dean George, I want to start off by just talking about the passion that's in his voice. It's a note of hopefulness. Uh, it's a note of rugged reality, realistic hope. Mm-hmm. Psalm 137. Uh, it's, it's an engaging opening in that he is saying to us that there's security in Christ, even though there's persecution. So uh, I like how he walks into this text without trying to tame it application throughout the fabric of the text, the invitation to join the psalmist by the rivers of Babylon and looking beyond the rivers of Babylon brings together, uh, as he puts it, he says, I, I, I can't help but think that the exiles must have said, because God promised Abraham in the same place, Babylon, that he would get to the promised land, that he will bring us back to it. That's quite a jump to go back and to say the promises of God are sure. And because he did it for our father Abraham, he will do it for us. Excellent uh, historical context showing us the pillaging and the raping that took place uh, in 587 uh, B.C., 586. Um, it's uh, very covenantal that God will keep his promise. Poetic license. They must have said to themselves this and that while protecting himself from injuring the text, if you will. It's a verse-by-verse progression. Uh, he helps us to see ourselves in the uh, in the exiles, being separated from Jerusalem and from the temple. And he concretizes it in such a way that he would say, when they said, lest I for- if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, and weeping and hanging up their harps. He said it would be like a concert pianist uh, having um, not the use of his hands because of arthritis or like a preacher who has throat cancer who can't preach uh, that this doleful this this um, loneliness and being away from the temple is seen by something that we can uh, instantly uh, understand I think uh, his application in the end is very, very strong why we ought to pray for our enemies we ought to pray for them in order that uh, uh, they might repent. We also ought to pray in order that uh, people who are already strong will be made stronger and carry the banner of Christ, and that we ought to pray for the enabling grace of God so that we can bless our enemies even when they persecute us. Eschatologically, he ends. He starts with the river. He closes with the river, with a Negro spiritual. Let's go down to the river to pray. Study about that good old way. Who shall wear a starry crown? Lord, show us the way. So this is really a tapestry. It's uh, an interpenetration 
of sources throughout the Bible and personal experiences, and he helps us to find our place with the exiles by the river of Babylon, but beyond the rivers of Babylon. Dr. Smith, if we go on any further, I think you're going to break out preaching well, yourself. Well, this is a message, Dean George. I'm Isn't it a great, yeah. It's a great sermon from a wonderful text by our dear friend and colleague, Ken Matthews, Psalm 137. Let's go to Hodges Chapel and listen to him preach. A reading from Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of the Lord. A reading from Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. This is the word of the Lord. By and beyond the rivers of Babylon. Almost 50 years ago, as a teenager, when I traveled in Europe, in the Middle East, as an American, it was almost a guarantee for security. Today, when you travel through many places of the world, as an American, and certainly if you hold high the banner of Christ, it's almost a guarantee of insecurity. One of our graduates Landon Bird, his father, Neil, 
former police officer. He's head of uh, security at our church. So it's not unusual for parishioners to say something to the effect, Well, Neil, are we secure today? Or something like, uh, I'm glad to see you because I feel much more secure. He told me his response is, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are secure. <laughs> That's the way it has always been. That's the way it is. And that's the way it always will be. Just this past March in East India, there was a baptismal service attended by as many as 500 Christians. Twenty Hindu radicals appeared with knives drawn. They threatened the Christians. They beat the pastor and others who tried to intervene, and they resulted in going to the hospital. In March, 15 years ago, Karen Watson was a Christian relief aid worker in the northern region of Iraq. She and her four friends were returning from helping the community learn about how to secure clean water. And as they were driving north to Mosul, a car pulled aside them with drawn guns and killed all of them. Karen wrote a note before she left the States, and it was entitled, Open in Case of Death. This is what she had to say, among other things. Keep sending missionaries out. Keep raising up fine young pastors. And then in closing, she stated simply, There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. His glory is my reward. I'm speaking today to an audience of young men and women who have committed themselves to the service of Christ and others who are holding high the banner of Christ. We live in this kind of world, and that's the kind of world I want to speak to. Oppression, persecution certainly does come here in the States. You may have been rejected by your parents and friends. You may have been ridiculed by others, perhaps even having lost a job, having lost certain kinds of opportunities. And I do not in any way want to diminish that. But today I'm primarily talking about those around the world 
who are in most danger, living in hostilities. And I want us to remember what Jesus said regarding persecution in the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and there shall be the kingdom of heaven. That's what I'm talking about, and I want to be clear about it. We are talking about people who are persecuted for the cause of Christ and not for any other. It may be near sitting in a Birmingham jail with Martin. It may be far sitting in a Turkish prison with Andrew. Whether near or far, we know that like this psalmist, we too will be sitting by the rivers, by the rivers of Babylon. And the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, if one member suffers, we all suffer. And this morning, the psalmist is inviting us to join him by the rivers of Babylon and to suffer with him in his deepest despair. But also, he wants us with the eyes of faith to join him in looking beyond the rivers of Babylon to a time of restoration and return, as history tells us, and the Bible as well, that it did occur. As you know from reading about the ancient past, when these great empires would move and stamp out great cities and nations, they were buried beneath the sands of time. Rarely were they ever heard from again. Only millennia later did archaeologists uncover their civilization, learn their languages, witness their great edifices, see their artwork, and read their great literature. But not so with Israel. Israel had a living God. You see, when there is death, there's no hope. But when there is life with the living God, we can look beyond the rivers of Babylon and see that hope and that restoration God gave Ezekiel also a captive, a vision, a vision of dry bones. And the question must have come to the psalmist as it comes to us. Can these dry bones live again? 
And this is what the Lord said on that occasion. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. What had occurred in the life of ancient Israel was a national and also theological crisis. King Nebuchadnezzar and his father rampaged from southern what is today Iraq, moving north and west and then south, covering the Fertile Crescent. And as Habakkuk describes it, they would cast their nets and bring in like fish cities and nations. They were known for their chariotry and galloping horses. And when they approached like all ancient civilization did in those old days, they would rape and pillage the land itself to feed their armies because their besieging a city would occur two to three years. The people inside would starve to death. And then once the walls were breached, there was no such thing as civilian. There was no such thing as collateral damage. All were subject to the wrath and anger of the armies who would kill, who would destroy, who would dismember. They would take up the young and they would transport them to faraway Babylon. And there with the young, like Daniel and his three friends, they would reprogram them to forget their homeland and their heritage and pick up and absorb and become like Babylonians. That was the risk that came with the national crisis. The theological crisis was simply this. The people of Israel had proclaimed that God had made promises to them. Was he good on his promises? They remembered long, long before the stories that had been told of their father Abraham, who was in that region when God called him to go to a land he did not know. And that he would make of him a great nation. And he would make of him a great name. And those who blessed Abraham would be blessed. But those who cursed Abraham would be cursed. Here they by the waters of Babylon. What had happened to those promises? But those of the righteous and the faithful who could look beyond the rivers, who could rest upon the promises of God, 
They must have said to themselves, if God can call our father out of Babylon, then surely he can do the same for us, and he will also call us home. In this opening paragraph of our passage in Psalm 137, I want us to remember as we look at this passage that the depth of his sorrow must have been truly so deep as to have created within him a fresh and raw feeling of anger. An angry man, yes, but I don't find him to be a person who was only looking for personal revenge. On the contrary, I find him to be a godly man, a righteous man. If Israel were to be extinguished, if its light were to be snuffed out, let me ask you, Where might Isaiah's proclamation of a light to the Gentiles would be? What people across the ancient world would be able again to hold high the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Israel had to survive so there might come from it the Savior long promised. And so as we think with him in these verses, remember now what is at stake. And that is the prosperity in the realization of the gospel of a descendant to come the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, it's actually the last verse that has proven to be so difficult. It's very hard to hear, and it's probably much more difficult to read because it's at cross-purposes, it seems, in our Christian sensitivities. And so uh, often you'll find that it's avoided, (laughs) the psalm, or ignored, or even disavowed. But if we really believe what Paul said to Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for edification and for equipping us to be better servants of Christ. There must be something here that will edify us. There's something here, if we will look closely, that will build us in our Christian commitment in our witness to the nations. What was he doing down at the rivers of Babylon? We sat down and wept, he says. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul and his companions when they had arrived in Philippi. And we are told that on the Sabbath day, they went outside the city gates. Some suppose that there was not a synagogue 
And so the people would gather at the river and worship and pray. And the text tells us that the Apostle Paul sat. And he must have shared the gospel because it says that God opened the heart of Lydia, the woman of selling purple. And she received the gospel. Perhaps the psalmist and his colleagues have gathered at the river for the purpose of prayer and of worship on their Sabbath. These may also have been Levitical musicians. Levitical priests who served the temple at Zion. If Babylon was the epitome of evil, then Zion would have been the epitome of God's presence, God's holiness, the one who was to be worshipped and praised. And that's why he has in mind that there is a loss of joy as his mockers would come and ridicule. Notice what it says here. Our term, our tormentors joyfully in mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. If these were Levitical priests, then they would have been performers. They would have been composers. It would have been the way that they understood their role in the place of God's kingdom and outworking. In their minds would have been recurring again and again what they had heard, what they had witnessed in worship, what they had heard, what they had witnessed in the great pilgrimages to that place which represented in their minds and hearts the very presence of God, the center of the universe, the center of the cosmos. And so when it speaks of singing the songs of Zion, there is in the songs of Zion a theological statement. And that is that the Lord God is the God of all the earth. He is the almighty God who has appointed his vice regent, David and his uh, progeny, to be the anointed servants of the Lord, to represent him in the earth. And Zion also spoke of how there would be a day in all the beauty of Zion and its temple, there would be streaming the nations to bow before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Notice in the next paragraph, here we have a vow of allegiance. And there, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Here he's talking about 
far more than a cartographer's placement of a Babylon or Jerusalem. He's talking about what has occurred is of such a traumatic nature that it would be dishonoring to God to compose songs of joy, songs of Zion. And that they must set aside, as they have done, their worship instruments. And then he makes this vow of allegiance. He turns, if you notice, attention from the collective we to himself personally. And he calls upon God's curses upon himself. Should he fail to worship the Lord? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. And may not again there be the singing of my mouth if I ever forget you, abandon you, become a part of the inducements that were surely there. There's this mistaken understanding that these people were held captive in a prison. No, when the Jews came, they were given opportunity We have recovered tablets from the period, 200 in fact, that describe how the Jewish people were involved in commerce, agriculture. And as history has told us, there was a minority that returned to Israel. The majority stayed in Babylon, where there was the possibility of further legacy and fruition and prosperity. Is it any wonder then that we have what is known as the Babylonian Talmud? But this psalmist says, I will not compromise. Oh God, may I never compromise. Can you imagine what it would have been like for him to no longer perform? To no longer compose? It would be like the classical guitarist or orchestral harpist whose hands are now so decrepit with arthritis they can't perform anymore. Or the great vocalist who has been robbed of her voice because of cancer of the throat. Or a pastor shepherd who can no longer shepherd his flock. That was his reason for being. That was his reason for existence. That was his vocation in life. Now lost. Oh, how despairing it must have been to the deepest regions of his soul. Oh, how he must have suffered. But notice the last part of that verse 6. I must put at the highest point, like Zion itself, at the highest point, my joy in Jerusalem. See, I've gone to 
great lengths to try for us to feel and sense his sorrow by the rivers. But for every believer, for every Christian, though there is sorrow and oppression, persecution, we know there is yet something deeper, deeper than our sorrow. And that is a quiet confidence and peace, a true joy that resides us because we know what is beyond the rivers of Babylon. And then finally, this last three verses, as he turns his full attention now in prayer. Now he's calling upon God in a way that we as Christians find so difficult to read and to accept. What is it we can find here that can be helpful to us? Well, let me make it clear, as we find so often in the New Testament by Jesus himself, where he says, love your enemies. In fact, we just simply recite it, and we do it almost every Lord's Day, the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or as the Apostle Paul has written, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will pay, says the Lord. What is it he's asking for here? He's praying for justice. For what is right? You know, too many times we find ourselves so uh, approving of, so proclaiming the mercy of God, we, we blind ourselves to the justice of God. Or we are so quick to think about the justice of God, we blind ourselves to the mercy of God. And so, yes, we pray for the justice of God, but we pray for it in a different manner, in a different way. Like the apostle, like Jesus said in Luke in Nazareth, you remember, after reading the Isaiah scroll, he's saying, now is the time for proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. And I would say the same to us. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of opportunity for the nations that they might hear and see and repent and stream to Zion as they worship the one true descendant of the Messianic lineage, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We can't be too harsh in our judgment against the psalmist, after all, all he is doing is repeating the words of God himself. <laughs> In Isaiah, when he delivers the oracle of judgment that will befall the Babylonians, this is what he says. The Lord says their infants will be dashed in pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. He understood 
from the Lord's proclamations that there will be a restoration, that the nation of Babylon must fall to another. And it did occur by the twin powers of the Medes and the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, rather, and they returned. So how ought we to pray? I remember those uh, sons of thunder. (laughs) James and John, when a Samaritan village had rejected Jesus, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? We're told that he rebuked them and turned away. What are we to pray for then? I think first and foremost, we've got to pray with the psalmist that the person under persecution be first and foremost strong in continuing and persevering and holding high the banner of Christ. We also pray for the nations to repent, repenting in a different way. Slain, not by the sword. Slain by the Spirit. That they may come to repentance. And then I would say, let us pray for the enabling grace that we will all need to bless those who are our enemies, those who have persecuted us. Would you join me in hearing a gospel spiritual that has come to mean a great deal to me? And in this I close. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about the good old way, And who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord? Show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down. Let's go down. Come on down. Come on, brothers. Let's go down. Down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about the good old way. Who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down. Let's go down. Come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. And as I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down, let's go down. Don't you want to go down? Down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord? 
show me the way. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show us the way. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.